Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hello, my friend, and welcome to Catch Up with Louise Makshari. This is the podcast where I try to keep you caught up on the week, try and make you head into your weekend informed or whatever day it is that you're listening that you feel like you've kind of got a handle a little bit on what's going on in the news and in the world of entertainment and beyond. I know life is busy, guys. And every week when I try and write the recommendations that I do at the end of every episode, I'm like, why have I got nothing? Like, I have never in my life been so behind on Housewives. And if you know me, you know that that is a real indictment of where I am in my life. Like I, I'm, I'm always up to date, always, 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 and I'm currently behind on more than one franchise, which is just, it's just, it's a hard thing for me to accept, to be honest. But my point is, things are busy, and sometimes you just need someone to be like, "Look, here's what's going on," and that's the point of this podcast. I hope you had a good week. Um, my week was pretty good. Um. I went to Madrid, went on a hen party, which was really good fun. You know, sometimes you're going into a hen party, you don't know who you're really going to be with. Um, it was one of those. I didn't know. Um, there were a lot of the people that I didn't know, but they were absolutely brilliant people. Really good fun. Great gals all together. So I had a great time. And then this week we announced and put on sale some live shows for me. Um, which I still am like, what? How, is this real life? Um, so I'm going to be doing two shows in the Sugar Club in April on Tuesday the 18th and Wednesday the 19th of April. It's called In Conversation with Louise Makshari. And it's basically just going to be a chat. Um, and as I, as I speak, I think both shows are, in, well, the first show is sold out. And I think the second night is actually nearly sold out as well. So there may be a few tickets left when you're listening um, tomorrow because I'm recording this at lunchtime on Thursday. And um, if not, I apologize if you miss out on tickets for this one. But hopefully it's just the start of um, a regular thing for me because I'm just really looking forward to being in a room with, sound people you know um I said on my Instagram when I was announcing it and it's not making a connection between the two things at all but one of the things I found really like heartening about the anti-racism march was just that you could look around and be like these people these are decent people like I know these people and I kind of think it's similar when you go to 
a podcast or, you know, a, a show of someone that you really admire, you know that if they're into that person, they're going to be sound. And I'm just looking forward to being in a room full of sounders. Um, so thank you so, so much to everyone who has already bought tickets. I can't believe, like, it's been less than 24 hours since we announced it. And I can't believe we've already sold out one night and that the second night is nearly sold out as well. It's amazing and also a little bit scary. But that's okay. I mean, what's the point of living if you're not scared every once in a while? Um, just a little reminder as well as we get through the podcast today that if you have opinions or takes on anything we chat about, I would love to hear from you. The number for the catch-up phone is 089-209-6423. That's 089-209-6423. And um, I will actually be recording a mailbag episode for Patreon on Monday um, where I respond to your takes and thoughts and opinions and questions. Um, link to the Patreons in my bio, but it's just patreon.com forward slash catch-up with Louise Shari. Great episode for you today. I've been super excited about putting this one out um, because I got to chat to Siobhan McSweeney recently. Um, she is, of course, a lot of us came to know her sister, Michael and Dairy Girls, and she's just brilliant. And I had such a good chat with her and I think you're really going to love it. But first, we need to catch up on the news. Well, once again, I'm delighted to be joined by journalist Aoife Moore to chat through the week's news stories. And why could I not get the words week's news stories out of my mouth? This week, Aoife is joining us from Tropical Climes. Tenerife. So nice, Tenerife. Oh, I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous. I am roasted <laughs> and I am so full of bread. My arse cheeks are roasted. My back is roasted. I'm full of bread and garlic mayonnaise. It's dream I mean true honestly that is my dream like actually my dream um well despite her holiday such as her commitment to you guys and to this podcast and to the news she is still willing to take us through what's gone on and I guess we'll start with this announcement about a big visit um Bill Clinton Hillary Clinton Joe Biden they're all coming to Ireland yeah so big bill um and Joe and Hillary have all decided that they are coming to Ireland. So the biggest announcement, obviously, is Bill Clinton. Mm. No, it's Joe Biden. <laughs> um, he is he is going to be here for five days um, in April, which mm -hmm. is the longest visit he's really had anywhere um, since his presidency started. They reckon that he will spend most of it, but they, when they say most of it, that'll probably be two days, mm. in his ancestral home of Mayo. Mm. Um they will both, they will all attend uh, Belfast and Dublin. Uh, it will be to mark the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. And uh, this was all kind of announced. It was tipped for a good while, um, but there had been some concerns that Biden wouldn't travel because Starmont wasn't up and running. Mm. Now, there is still no guarantee that Starmont will be up and running. As you know, the DUP have not made a decision on the Windsor Protocol yet. But uh, Biden has said that it is his intention to travel both to the North and the Republic. Um, so he, his family, as we know, because every time there's an election or anything else, the Bluets, um mm -hmm. live in Mayo. So as you can imagine, there will be a huge security presence and the pints of Guinness and all the other things that go along with the chop. He will pay a courtesy call to the RS Anukteran and meet Michael D. Higgins. It'll be all very lovely. It'll be all photo ops. Oh, and he's also, I heard, supposed to go play golf with Enda Kenny. Apparently they're friends. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, okay, so, so it's, it's kind of a social visit. 
it is they said that this is like the most social visit he's ever actually probably going to do mm. um he was in london for five days before around the g7 but that was all for work, work whereas yeah. this is more um a personal and social visit because they'll spend most of it in Mayo and obviously the Good Friday Agreement stuff um, they reckon it'll happen it won't actually happen on the agreement it'll be which is the 7th it'll be the week after uh, that that he attends but yeah it's nice that I always think it's nice that American presidents feel the need and want to be seen to be in Ireland yeah like um, I think we us, like for us being such a small country exactly. we definitely punch above our weight in oh, that sense in so many ways I like I think you know we for, we have like I feel like we have like big man complex or something like we forget that we are literally <laughs> a tiny island I think that's just called normal street man complex <laughs> <laughs> but like we you know we forget that we are this teeny tiny country like we are tiny yeah. and yet there we are at the Oscars here we are with the presidents coming like it's you know, we perform well internationally, it's got to be said. Um, we do, we step up to the plate. Mm. Remind people of the role that Bill Clinton played in the Good Friday Agreement for anyone who's forgotten. Yeah, sorry, I'm just not really a big fan of Bill Clinton. So, uh, <laughs> okay. Bill Clinton was the American president um, in charge when the signing of the Good Friday Agreement took place. Now, a lot of people... And we will see this a lot that I personally find it quite annoying. So when it comes to the run up to the Good Friday Agreement and the anniversary, you'll see a lot about Bill Clinton and Bertie Ahern because and Tony Blair, because they're the leaders of the big the big countries yeah. um that had, you know, a vested interest in peace in Northern Ireland. Um, I would actually say that the hardest work was done by people on the ground, um, was done by people like Mo Mullum and Jerry Adams and Der- David Irvine and Monica McWilliams. But in terms of there had never been a Taoiseach, a president or a prime minister um, who had worked as hard so far mm. to get peace in Northern Ireland. Bill Clinton was a big part of that. He had a real interest in Northern Ireland. I believe his daughter, um, Chelsea, I think she did her thesis on peace in Northern Ireland. So just as a family, they are generally very interested. Mm. Um, and yeah, that's why he's want, he wants to come back. And obviously we know that Bertie Ahern will be in Belfast, I'm pretty sure Tony Blair and Alistair Campbell and all that crew will be there as well. Mm. Um, so they're huge, I know we'll probably talk about this again, but yeah, there are huge plans um, for the anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. Uh, I'm involved in some very exciting things. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a really big deal. I think for me, the most depressing thing is that um, I actually feel more hopeless now about politics in Northern Ireland than I have ever before. <laughs> mm. That's a real shame. It's a real shame. Okay. (laughs) All right. Let's talk about fast fashion because the owner company of Zara and Bershka and Stradivarius and Pull&Bear and Massimo Dutti has reported record profits of 4.1 billion euro. Yeah, this made me feel really bad. Um, So yeah, the parent company of Zara reported 4.1 billion euro of record net profit for 2022. So as you said, there are a number of subsidiaries involved in that that you just said. So their record profits are up last year from 27% from 2021. Um, and they said, the CEO, Garcia Marseilles, said that the excellent results of 2022 showed the strength of our business model. Okay, so <laughs> the company that owns these these stores and these companies are under severe pressure because of the amount of clothing that ends up in dumps. You know, then we know that the clothing waste of fast fashion is a really, really big problem. Mm. Um, a study last year um, from Aberdeen University 
they surveyed a thousand Bangladeshi factories who make these garments for these companies, and they said that there was unfair trading practices, um, lower wages, high staff turnover, and one fifth of the factory said that they struggled to pay Bangladesh's legal minimum wage as a result. Mm. Um, the and researchers like, heard from. Sorry, just to clarify, they they we don't know that they necessarily work with you know, this particular company said, that we're talking about. They but. said the researchers heard from respondents that the highest proportion of unfair practices came from uh, Endotex, who own Zara, H&M, Next, and Primark. So it's kind of started this wider conversation about, yeah, they're making these net profits, but at what cost for everyone else? So that we know the fashion industry is worth 10% of uh, annual CO2 emissions. And 93, I don't know how many this is, but 93 billion cubic meters of water each day around the same amount of drinking water that we use by each year that will be used by five million people that is no this is the other thing this makes me feel bad because i buy a lot of my clothes from zara and h&m and like i don't buy stuff like when i was a student and like i first got my own like i used to buy like the most stupid shite out of penalties and h&m and whatever and like you would just buy stuff constantly Mm. and i'm definitely more mindful about the stuff that i buy Mm. um and like don't anywhere near buy as much as i used to but yeah it does make me feel so i'm not i just wanted to point out that i'm not telling anyone off for their no and i mean because this is how this model works yeah and i think most people who are listening will probably feel the same like i mean it's kind of hard to exist hard maybe is the wrong word but like you know we live in a consumerist society we are Mm -hmm. socialized to consume and that's part of living in capitalism and so of course it's natural for us to have the compulsion to get a nice new thing every once in a while Um, and you know these are the brands that surround us and Mm -hmm. you know I think the thing is, like, I think most of us have probably cut back on how much we're buying. We've probably tried mm-hmm. to increase the amount that we wear, the clothes that we have. I think we're all donating and depopping and, you know, hand-me-downing clothes. So there's definitely been improvements, but kind of what can you do when the actual companies themselves are operating at such a fast rate? It's difficult. Yeah, and I think as well, like, even if we just take, like, this, like, I'm on holidays, so I didn't have to buy anything new this holiday but but previously like if you're going to you have x amount of money to spend on holiday stuff it's like yeah i could go and buy a bikini that's 60 euro um but i need more than one bikini so i could go to pennies and buy like mm. three bikinis and shorts and you know what i mean it comes mm. down to a price thing as well and it's all well and good to say to people yeah you should have a capsule wardrobe and you should just buy you know classic pieces that are going to last you but if you get a new job and you need office clothes and you only have one blouse one 70 year old blouse isn't going to do you the whole week yeah yeah so that's all part of it as well yeah it's very tricky But I think, you know, the industry itself has to face up to the reality of its working practices. And that's not something that we can do anything about personally, aside from obviously sending a strong message to them in any way that we possibly can. But it's hard. Look, it's hard. Let's be honest. It's hard. Mm. Like, you know, at the end of the day, we're just people trying to exist in the world and we've got a million things on our plate. And, you know, it is tricky. It is tricky. Good people. Good people trying our best. That's it. (laughs) That's it, Eva. Really and truly. Okay, um, let's talk about women's rugby. We loved sports. We loved sports. to talk about sports. And this isn't really about sports in itself, though. This is about the fact that the women's rugby team, the Irish women's rugby team, have made a permanent change to darker shorts. 
Yes, I love this. Um, this was a problem I had when I played GAA. I'm glad to see that the women's rugby team are taking um, a stand on it. So the Ireland's women's rugby team are going to make a permanent change and they're going to switch from white shorts to navy shorts. They said that they did a survey of their players and they found that anxieties over their period was an ongoing issue. Everyone knows what it's like when you are on your period and you don't want to wear a white skirt or a white dress. Or mm. can you imagine that? But you're also running around and rugby tackling people. This is a massive issue in GEA. You know, everyone has, everyone who's played GEA or any kind of women's sport will have a horror story about someone they know and something that happened in white shorts. And, you know, we've all heard the stories. And I think the fact that it's taken to 2023. Um, for a women's national team to actually acknowledge this is completely mad. Mm. Um, but I think fair play to the Ireland's women's rugby team. So it'll begin, I think, I believe from next week. Mm. Um, and it's a small change that everyone is happy about. I'm sure there are some people who will find a way to complain about it, but I think it's great. Yeah. And the Irish centre, Anya Breen, said the top way to ensure we perform our best on the field is by removing any unnecessary distractions. Wearing navy shorts instead of white is such a small thing, but for us, it's a big step for, from Canterbury uh, who make the shorts and the IRFU. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, the thing about it is, is that it kind of sets a precedent as well for women who are taking part in sport at at all different levels you know like obviously mm -hmm. if the if the top of the top are saying this is how we're going to do it then that does filter down so I think it's really significant as you say for anyone mm -hmm. who plays who plays the sport um and you know great great well done well done to the girls um now I wanted to mention Paul Murphy's baby and um, because I saw this was causing all kinds of kerfluffle on the internet this week and people were going absolutely wild Can people just get fucking lives no Get apparently life. not so paul murphy the td for people before profit had a baby him and his girlfriend uh jess they had um quite a struggle with ivf um they started later on in life the article is actually really lovely um it's in the irish times by jen hogan the parenting article um i felt like they both were very honest and very candid. They said they didn't think they wanted children. Mm. Um, and then they got on a bus and then they realized that they did. And they had some very disappointing and a long kind of road with IVF. Mm. Um, and then eventually got pregnant um, and just had their baby, Juniper. So, um, Juniper, I don't, I'm probably going to say this wrong, but um, Juniper is male. Um, but the parents, uh, Paul and Jess, have decided that they're not going to gender the kid so they said you know from the outset that they were going to call the baby juniper because it was a gender neutral name um the baby is male but they said well paul said we live in a deeply sexist and gendered society which creates certain expectations for boys and certain expectations for girls and those things are changing in a positive direction um so they're just going to use the pronoun they for the baby um but if they said, if you call Juniper a boy or you say he, they're not going to correct you. Mm. He said, we're not going to fight against society, but to the extent that we can in our own home and our own relationship with Juniper, we're not going to limit them. And they're not going to say you're a boy, you're a girl. The way Paul said it was, if you want to drink in pink, if you want to dress in pink, firehead. If you want to dress in blue, firehead. If you want to play football, if you want to go dancing. Obviously, he said, you know, whatever they want. And he said the vast majority of parents do gender their child. And I have no criticism of that whatsoever and no judgment. But it is true that if you put a label boy or girl on your child, you're definitely 
increase the chances of them going down one road or the other. Mm. So they said that if the kid decides when they're three, if they're a boy, they'll say great. And if they decide something else, they'll also say great. Mm. So naturally, I actually think this is the most, like, it. they couldn't have been more understanding or open or honest. It's not going to be for everyone, mm. but it's not everyone's kid. Yeah. <laughs> it's their kid. <laughs> so obviously people lost their fucking minds mm. about this. Um, saying that, you know, I'm not even going to get into what they're saying. You can imagine what they're saying, mm. right? And like, as Paul said, Paul said, every, most people do gender their kid. He has no judgment of this. Mm. Just let them do whatever they want. He is not going to go around correcting people who gender their child. He said that. He said he's not going to fight society. If they put the kid into a crash and you have to take boy or girl, he's going to take boy. They're not going to be malintent about this because people rarely are. And he just said, you know, the word this is just the way they're going to do it i mean the thing is like absolutely lost lost it it. like it's crazy but like the thing is like the way he describes uh paul describes raising juniper is completely the same way that i describe my kids or that i'm raising my kids the only difference is that you know we do say that they're a boy you know that they're boys Mm -hmm. and but like you know we're the same like ted i took ted into town a couple of weeks ago and he was wearing like a tutu over his outfit and you know he we went into pennies because he has been hell-bent on buying a dress for months like yeah I think there are a lot of parents who actually are raising their kids in that way now that like if that's what you want to do cool like no problem like why would we get strung up on you know you're a boy boys do this girls do this like I think lots of people are already kind of operating in this way with this oh and uh, and I think it's great an open-minded approach to Mm -hmm. parenting um and you know I think what people maybe get hung up on is like oh this child is gonna be bullied and blah 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 (laughs) but like I mean first of all maybe maybe not but like secondly you know I mean at the school I went you got bullied if you bought new trainers so (laughs) but also like I mean I think kids get bullied Oh, kids get kids get bullied no matter what. I mean, first of all, exactly. but second of all, yeah. Like obviously, Paul and his partner will protect their child, just like I will protect my child. And you know, I will be mindful when sending them into certain situations about what's safe and what's best for them. Like it's just ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. Like other people's parenting is and not like, your business. I think as well. I would just urge, and like there are going to be people, and I know like some people in my own family would say, you know, that's ridiculous or whatever. But I would really urge people you read the article I thought it was very well done yeah Paul and Jess came across really lovely they had a hard time with IVF and this is the thing there are plenty of people parenting their children in very toxic and damaging ways that Mm. no one ever comments on yeah and not gendering your child is not one of them and whether you personally wouldn't do it that's fine you're not Juniper's dad yeah Exactly. I just can't imagine caring so much. Oh, no. I know. I can't either. But I feel like that's a theme that comes up time and time again on this podcast. Okay. Well, Aoife, I'll let you go. I'll let you go off to your sunshine. Um, It's actually not so bad here today now on Thursday, the 16th of March. It's, it's uh, 12 degrees in Dublin. It's 30 here. Whoa. Okay. Never mind. Um, farewell. Okay. See you soon. Bye.
Siobhan McSweeney came to most of our attention as Sister Michael in Derry Girls, but since then she has gone from success to success, whether it's on television or in theatre. Whether you've seen her in the series Extraordinary or if you've seen her hosting The Great Pottery Throwdown, you will know her warmth, charm and talent is palpable. I was delighted to catch up with her and find out how she's getting on with it all. I mean, firstly, let me just thank you for making time for me because I know you're absolutely up the walls at the moment. I feel like every time... Every time I turn around, someone is telling me about a new Siobhan McSweeney project. Um, are you loving being busy? Do you know what? It's my greatest fear that people will get sick of me, you know, no. I, I, that that they'll open the fridge and they'll find me in there. You know, they'll try. <laughs> they'll try. They'll try to go somewhere. Oh God, is that bloody woman on that show again? But I must. I also like how can I say no to these extraordinary opportunities that I've been given? Nor should you. No, yeah, I'm having a really fun, lovely time, but I'm also very anxious because I'm sure you identify with this, but I'm waiting for the bad thing to happen. And of course, I've taken on too much work as well. And that makes you worry that you're not able to devote the right amount of time to everything but I so far with an awful lot of help and support from my friends and family seem to be getting through it well that's great I'm having a ball good well I'm so glad to hear that because I think when you're in a career like yours um and I get a a little bit of it you know you just don't know when the work's gonna stop that's Um, it so you know saying no to anything that you want to do seems wild Completely, completely. And, 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 you know, you have that naturally as a freelancer, don't you? You can't mm-hmm. say no to work. But also, I think we both are savvy enough to understand the fickleness of our respective industries mm-hmm. and how uh, fashion is a fleeting uh, moment. And mm-hmm. I seem to, you know, I'm not I'm not stupid. I work incredibly hard and I have been given a lot of things and I work hard for other things, like for, for, for them as well. But yeah. uh, a lot of it is luck and yeah. a lot of it is timing. And um, I am determined to uh, to eke as much as I can out of this. Yeah, you have to strike while the iron is hot. And yeah. I mean, I think the iron that we're talking about is Dairy Girls, which kicked yeah. off everything. I mean, did, you were yeah. absolutely incredible in that program. And, you know, we all loved it. But it must have been a surprise for it to become such an international success. Completely. It's still really a surprise. I was, um, uh, so I'm rehearsing theatre at the moment. And mm. before Dairy Girls, like theatre was my bread and butter. You know, like yeah. I I worked solidly in theatre. I, I also had no major interest in telly. But like, it's interesting, I'm working at the National Theatre and the last time I worked at there... I don't think Dairy Girls had come out, you know. Mm. Um, I'm pretty sure Dairy Girls hadn't come out. So I, you know, it's interesting going back to the same place and the conversation's completely different. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm now going in with, you know, Sister Michael on my shoulder in yeah. a way. And, and it just makes me realise how I, a bit like, you know, I can't, I'll never be able to see how big Dairy Girls is because I'm still too much in it. And mm. because it's gotten so big and mm. because, you know, people in a beautiful way and in a way that that is so gratifying, people have taken it for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and it me like, so therefore, you know, it, it's it's sort of 
in a in a way it sort of has nothing more to do with me yeah. <laughs> it's it's become this juggernaut yeah the juggernaut outside of myself yeah and um I I I'm very grateful to be associated with it because it seems to have given an awful lot of people an awful lot of people an awful amount of joy oh absolutely uh, absolutely I have a friend who's a musician and um she gave me her most recent album to listen to before it was released and but but she didn't give it to me for ages and she said yeah she said basically she has to get to a point with it where she's ready to kind of let go of it because once other people have it it becomes a different thing and she has to be so firm in her own feelings about it that you know she's ready to kind of almost have it not be hers anymore which I feel like is similar to what you're saying that's about Dairy great. House. That, yeah. that's that's very well articulated um I I, I think also uh for uh, for us like I had had with previous telly experience and just sort of life in the industry experience, knowing that just because something is very, very good mm. doesn't necessarily mean that it'll be a success. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be very naive. I don't want to burst anybody's bubble there, but, you know, there are plenty of amazing artists you haven't heard of and, nev- and never will hear of because yeah. the industry will not find them for yeah. whatever reason um yeah so we didn't th- I I certainly didn't think I don't think anybody thought it would be the success of it yeah. yeah but I'm very grateful it was because it's given me off the back of it a fuckload of oh can I curse yeah absolutely that's the best uh, well, thing about not being on RTE <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah you're a lost RTE um <laughs> I mean that's a given anyway mm-hmm. um uh yeah a fuckload that's the actual unit measurement mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. fuckload yeah a fuck ton of opportunities. So yeah. all hail and green on. And so it's interesting for me to hear you say that you hadn't really like telly wasn't really a goal for you. You were kind of happy working away in, in theater. And um, because I was thinking before we came on, you and I have had conversations before about body stuff and access yeah. to clothing and all that kind of crack. And I was thinking that I, I was really into acting as a teenager And I think the reason that I didn't pursue it is because I thought I couldn't be successful because of the body that I had. Mm -hmm. You're nodding. I was going to ask you, is that something that you you had in your head? What made you kind of keep going anyway? I don't know. To this day, I'll never know. But um, when people first started asking me about my journey into acting or whatever, I the only thing I could ever come up with as an answer was I just... I just didn't think it was for people like me. And of course, people like me, I mean a myriad of, you know, socioeconomic and Mm. physical attributes and racial attributes and gender attributes. Mm. But one of the one of the things, not all of it, one of them was definitely uh, my size. Mm. Also, along with size, there's also um, uh, prettiness. Yeah, there there's. because size is conflated with attractiveness mm-hmm. <laughs> if you are one size is attractive another size isn't attractive mm-hmm. that you have people who are um you know not conventional like their good looking status comes from their thin body yeah absolutely rather than classical features do you know what i mean yeah, rather yeah. than any symmetry yeah thinness so is I a currency it yeah. is a currency and I thought that I'd sort of failed mm. failed you see that's the word I yeah that's mm. interesting um, 
sorry, I only discover these things. I I'm I I don't process things. I only discover <laughs> things when I say them out loud. I'm failed saying is the new thing. Is is a new thing. I didn't realize. I thought I'd failed, but I think when you are larger, when you do not conform to mm-hmm. uh, a beauty or, or 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 a size standard or any standard, you do feel like you've failed on some level. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like... I don't give a shit anymore. Yeah, well, that's great. You know, I personally, I for me. I feel like I move forward and then I move back and then I move forward and then I move back and it just kind of depends when you catch me on a given month where I am with that but I'm really glad to hear that you're in a good space and you should be and I have to say it's great to see you not just on TV you know playing really interesting roles I know obviously Extraordinary is the new show which is on Disney Plus I haven't started it yet but I'm dying to I just don't get enough TV time I, I bet you don't have time. Don't let the kids watch it. Oh, People no. think because it's Disney and because it's sort of superhero stuff that the kids do not let your kids. No, watch no. It. I gather it's quite yeah. adult. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's but I, everyone it's... is telling me it's brilliant. I just haven't gotten a chance to, to get into it yet. So I'm very much looking forward to it. But also we get to see you on the Great Pottery Throwdown, which I uh, I absolutely love because it is so wholesome and beautiful and so cheering and it must be just a joy to work on is it yes is the short answer yes 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 like it is what you see yeah I I don't I never whatever about not never having an interest in film and tv I certainly had no interest in being a a, a presenter and it was an opportunity that came to me rather than me looking for it am I right Uh, I think I read that basically when you guys did Bake Off they were like oh she's great we let's take her for this is that right I think I think they were impressed by my breakdown uh, okay. while making a trifle <laughs> and they thought to themselves that's the one we want. <laughs> well, you can relate to when things go wrong. <laughs> Completely. I think also I mean I, I I don't know. I mean you'd have to ask them. I know what I find interesting about it is that I love chatting with people. Yeah. Um, I don't know as it's very, although I'm learning loads, I don't know, I certainly knew fuck all about pottery when I started. Yeah. But I also liked the show. Mm-hmm. But I like people who are good at what they do. Yeah, me too. Um, and it's, uh, it's, you, you know, like I'm I'm interested in chatting to to people. I'm curious about other people. Mm. Um, as much as a misanthrope, I like to, to, to present myself as I actually to begrudgingly like other humans and <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my biggest failings um but the the show is a gorgeous thing and mm. I think people think because it is you know as you called it wholesome mm. um I don't know like there's so much intelligence and art mm. and craft and I really am tired of meanness mm-hmm. and meanness has been somewhat conflated with intelligence and you're just a mean cunt really fuck yeah. off like yeah. uh, being mean doesn't make you any smarter it just no. make you're quite it's a bit of a bore dude like yeah. bore yeah. off and being sound and being good at what you do doesn't make you any less fucking cool no. I think <laughs> yeah no I agree and I think that's one of the gorgeous things about the pottery throwdown is that even when people have a really bad week and sometimes they do like Keith and oh god this is terrible I've gone like rich Jesus Keith and Rich 
always find something good to say. Rich is like Rich, especially Keith. Obviously, I adore because of the tears. But yeah. Rich always finds a silver lining. He always yeah. finds something to say. This is beautiful. This bit of work is is you know you were obviously thought that through. And I love that because that's real life. Like if someone fucks up in front of you, you're not going to be like, well, you fucked that up. I mean, unless you hate them yeah. or you're slagging them off and you're Irish. Um, but like for yeah, the most yeah, yeah, part, yeah. you're going to try and make them feel better. And and you know they've had a hard time. Something's gone wrong. That's not ideal for them. Why would you make it worse? And it feels just much more authentic. That's that's the word. We're all quite authentic on it. And the thing about uh, is that we see the process of them having a shitty week and we do yeah. everything in our power um, to make it less of a shitty week. Yeah. For them. We, we genuinely do. I mean, if we need to, we will. Maybe, you know, we, we, we'll, we'll stop the clock if we need to, if everybody's finding something difficult. Yeah. And we're not there to humiliate people. Yeah. We're not there to make them look bad and fuck them up. I mean, I love what you just said there about Rich, because the thing about Rich, because he's uh, sort of, you know, a bit quieter, I suppose, mm. uh, to, to to our our wonderful um, Keith, is the thing about Rich is that he has the true, they both have, but a re- he's so articulate he's so mm. artistically articulate mm-hmm. he's able to communicate things. his way of seeing yeah. is uh is a pleasure mm. i love the way rich sees so i i am learning loads it's always brilliant to be in the company of artists mm. and both rich and keith come to their uh art with such passion such intelligence mm. uh, and and very different but like you know, class is class and they're both fucking class. Yeah, yeah. It's just, there's just a vibe of like soundness. Yeah. And even within yeah. the contestants, the contestants always seem to be really lovely and really want to support yeah. each other. And like, sometimes that's what you need to watch at the end of a rough day, yeah. you know? You don't all, like sometimes I'm like, I just need to not think too hard for a while. Look at nice people and pretty things. And that's exactly what the show is. I'm always Completely. telling anyone I meet who hasn't watched it, I'm like, what are you doing with your life? Get on it. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, that, well, that's good. But also potters are weirdos, you know? Like, it's <laughs> yeah. probably the one demographic that hasn't been pimped out for for um, for for profit or for reality TV. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. They don't, they're, they're there in spite of the fact it's televised. Mm. And yeah. I think that's a very precious thing in this overexposed uh, time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, they're there in spite of the cameras. So for me, the core of what it all is, is an, is an authentic experience. Mm. They don't really, they want to make, they want to, to play around with their clay. They want to talk to the judges and they want to have access to huge kilns. We give them all those, yeah. but we do film it and they're like, oh, well. If you have to, access. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you get, you're getting, you're getting the real deal. Yeah. Not some fucker who's decided to pick up a, a baking tin because they've got a book deal or something yeah no no shade to 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 that but it's a completely different yeah. vibe in- yeah. yeah and I mean who knows like maybe in years to come baking will be- or excuse me pottery exactly. will become the sexy hot thing where everybody's having absolutely. books absolutely but for now it I, I totally see that you can feel it when you're watching um completely I've seen I've seen you tweet about trans rights and I've also seen your colleague on the Pottery Throwdown Rose tweet some brilliant and ballsy stuff and also post on her Instagram. Um, yeah. It's it's great to see her do that and feel, you know, 
able to do that because it is such a difficult time for trans people at the moment. And I'm interested to know what makes you decide to say something. Right. I think, I mean, it's very simple, isn't it? We're using the exact same rhetoric, the exact same rhetoric that we used against gay people mm. and specifically gay men. Yeah. You know, um, we're using the same rhetoric that seems inconceivable to us now. Uh, and when that rhetoric was being used, it was then used to like pick your minority, your, pick your persecuted minority. And we're using the same language. Yeah. I do not feel that trans people are any threat to me. Mm-mm. I do not feel that my fear of being attacked by a man is increased or decreased by the uh, existence of trans women. Mm. I'm irritated beyond belief by the, and I'll call it fucking stupidity of the arguments. Yeah, I have the luxury of being irritated while I watch my friends. I am like, I'm seeing, yeah. Uh, while I'm seeing my friends be um, diminished and abused and attacked. And I'm choosing those words carefully. And and the conversation around it is so toxic, it insults every person. It's so insulting to everyone. To diminish the concerns of, of people who are concerned is incorrect. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't diminish concerns. I agree. Let's actually discuss those concerns mm-hmm. because let's call a spade a spade here, you know. Cis women have been attacked by cis men and continue to be attacked repeatedly and systemically. Mm-hmm. And so have trans women been attacked oh, completely. by oh, cis men. No. Absolutely. No, my point being is the concern that cis women will have conflating a Mm. trans woman with a cis man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We should be dealing with male violence to women rather than thinking that being a trans woman is some dastardly plan. Yeah to attack me in a loo. Yeah, no, totally. No, I, I completely saw where you were coming from. Do you know what from. I mean? A hundred percent. Not to diminish. No, no. no means am I diminishing? <laughs> no, it yeah. didn't come across that way. I think what, oh, I meant, what I meant was we have a common, a common, that's the word, a common, common. Sorry. You know when you're like, is that the word? Yeah, and yeah. Orange, we orange, ha- orange, yeah. Orange, we orange, have, yeah. We have a common a- enemy. Um, all of us and that is toxic masculinity and you know a culture of violence a culture of male violence and we have to call it what it is and it affects men and it affects women and it affects trans men and it affects trans women and to move the conversation away from that just distracts from the reality of the problem and it's a waste of time that's what I mean it's a waste of my fucking time this Mm -hmm. stuff is stupid and also like leave my friends alone yeah (laughs) A hundred percent. Like that's what it comes down to for me always time and time again. It's like, these are, you know, you don't have to do much Googling to learn that you're talking about some of the most vulnerable people in the world, a teeny tiny minority. And to target them is just so bizarre and unfounded. 
it kills me. It kills me. And to not see that the the dialogue, the discourse at the moment didn't like to, to be so to not see that the conversations that we're having now have been somewhat falsely created. They weren't we weren't having these conversations five years ago. No. We weren't having them 10 years ago. No, we were having completely different conversations. And this I mean, I'm going to. You know, I'm going to call it if if there was a giant conspiracy of toxic men out there, they would create this furore, this this false out, you know, threat mm. of 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 the from the trans community as a distraction technique. It's yeah. distracting us and it's a waste of my time. But it's so bloody toxic that even now I'm going crikey I'm just thinking of the abuse I'm going to get when this comes out do you know what I mean yeah I'm sorry oh listen please god poor me poor Mm. me yeah I know I'm the real victim here Louise let's not forget (laughs) no but I'm the one who made you talk about it so I but I but I I gladly talk about it yeah and I talk about it a lot too because I just I guess the same as you I feel like you know how lucky am I that I can talk about it and you know I might get a bit of online abuse but it's not my whole life and you know it's not every day that I step outside the door um now, before I go, you mentioned that you're in the National Theatre at the moment. It is dancing mm-hmm. at Lunasad that you're you're rehearsing for, which starts next month, I believe. Yeah. How have you done dancing at Lunasad before? I have actually. Yeah. Yes. Um. It's uh, you know, um, the the uh, what they call it the citizenship test. You right. know, everybody has. To, so for every Irish uh, uh, female actor you have to do a production of dancing right yeah. that is that then you're allowed to have your passport mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. A, an irish actress mm-hmm. no i have i have done it before and my hope is my and my plan is to do it one more time i know i'm going to play maggie mundy three times mm. it's such a gorgeous um, play it is a gorgeous play it is uh it is a powerful play it's an important play mm. and uh i am absolutely honored that i'm doing it and i i, I don't say that lightly brian freel um uh well his plays paid my rent for a very long period of time so mm. i've that to thank him for but also i genuinely feel that he is one of the uh the great irish playwrights just craft wise just yeah. yeah every every sense and I think personally it's sort of um it's sort of a little soapbox I feel uh, one of my little of my many soapboxes where I feel that accessibility gets conflated with being trivial yeah I and I think co- comedy sometimes and often gets gets tarred with the same thing that if something makes you laugh that it's not um I was going to say serious but it's not of worth yeah. maybe or or not of um artistic merit yeah. if it makes you laugh whereas i feel that if something is accessible it's that is a measure of its success yeah i agree because clarity is a very hard thing and the wealth and depth of his writing and the craft within the writing uh 
it's it's actually a miracle how accessible he is considering how clever he is yes I agree well that was beautifully put and if you are in the UK you can go and see Siobhan in Dancing at Lunas at the National Theatre it kicks off uh, previews I think are like 6th of April um, yeah. so go and get your tickets or maybe you're flying over you could fly over um, if fly you... over come on <laughs> come over and have a look if you want to see an adult and gas show about superheroes that's extraordinary on <laughs> Disney Plus if you want to get something wholesome and authentic you can watch Great Pottery Throwdown which is on uh, if you haven't started this series yet it's not finished but you could go back and watch it on um channel four online i think it's is it all it's, it keeps changing its name i don't know is it all floor all four anymore and then of course oh yeah you can get dairy girls there as well or it's on netflix mm-hmm. as well so there's lots of opportunities to appreciate siobhan mcsweeney and i am so <laughs> appreciative of the fact that you made time for me thank you so much of course louise of course louise lovely to see you thank you hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. You. I tell you it was a truly thrilling time recording this week's entertainment slot it is not I'm not overstating things because literal moments before we recorded it was announced that Ryan Toberty was stepping down from the Late Late Show so we were very excited to talk about it and of course we also talked about the Oscars and the Gary Lineker debacle I hope you enjoy God, (laughs) little did we know when we agreed to record this week's entertainment slot that we would be dealing with one of the biggest entertainment news stories that Ireland has ever faced. Imer McGlyset, writer, cultural commentator. It's great to have you here. Thank you. It's been a few years since I worked in a newsroom. Nothing beats the thrill of breaking news. Honest to God, uh, Imer arrived. She pulled into the driveway. (laughs) And I ran to the front door. You threw it open. Flung it open. And you said, Ryan Toberty's leaving the Late Late Show. I did. I really did. Because it is truly, it's just thrilling to have a story of this magnitude. It has nothing to do with Ryan himself. It's just like, it's it's absolutely enormous yeah. in Irish broadcasting terms. I mean, there's no getting away from that. Ryan Toberty presented the Late Late Show for the last 14 years. Yeah. And now he's stepping down. I know. It's... It, I mean, I like Ryan Turbity. I know he's a divisive character. I don't think you can be 
a character like Ryan Tuberty and not be divisive. No. Um, I like him. I had ha- have had the opportunity to work with him in very small amounts over the years. Yeah. And I've always found him delightful, very polite, oh. very helpful, everything Hang on, Emer, there's a man with donuts at the door. Okay. <laughs> for us oh god how interesting how tragic the donuts went out for me I know but they actually were for your neighbour and I would have just been like oh they mean you definitely no well you know what it's good it's it's tough in the neighbourhood to see me getting donuts all the time (laughs) (laughs) anywho back to business um yeah, Ryan Tuberty hosted for the last 14 years and he said, it has been a pleasure to host the National Institution that is the Late Late Show for the last 14 years. I want to thank the tremendous teams of producers, researchers, crew and executives who have done the hard work to keep the show on the road over the years. Many have become dear friends. He goes on to thank the viewers and his family. And it is, like, it's huge. And as, as you say, like, I also have, I was on the Late Late Show. I was on, when I got cancer, I was on Ryan's show to kind of talk about it and stuff a couple of times. He's like... He's a really nice man. Yeah. Like, if you met him, you'd like him. Whatever you think about him on TV, if you met him, you'd like him. Yeah. He's very charming. Yeah, and anyone I know that's ever worked with him has nothing but high praise for yeah, him. Yeah, um, But of course, now all of the eyes turn to who will replace him? What will the Late Late Show become? Will it be the Late Late Show anymore? Like, I can't see them getting rid of it. Isn't it something like the longest running chat show in in the world or something like that? It's just unbeatable in terms of how long it's been going for. Yeah. It's also the longest running in terms of length. Hours. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Literal and hours. I think we would hope if, you know, if they are making changes, they might trim it down a little bit. Yeah. It's, very, it's like it's almost that long just for the sake of it. Yeah. And also, I mean, let's be honest, like the world has changed so significantly in general, but like, I mean, broadcasting has changed seismically. You know, the internet has changed everything. And now... You know, I think the reason that a show like Tommy Tiernan's show has become so popular and in fact in ratings has often beat the late late these days Mm -hmm. um, is because it's not just a straightforward interview. There's something extra to it because if you want a straightforward, say, celebrity interview, like you can just get that on your computer anytime you want. Like, you know, how many interviews of, I don't know. Harry Styles have we watched you know we can access them all at once so either the interviewer has to bring something interesting to the table and have a particular way or the format has to be has has to have something special Um, and the Late Late Show was just quite straightforward I suppose and traditional and it probably just needs a new yeah I mean we've seen them introduce a lot of new gimmicks and slots and bring new people in and do things Mm. differently but yeah it is a straightforward chat show. They did great stuff during the pandemic. Like Absolutely. I thought that was quite revol- revolutionary. Maybe it's too strong a word, but they really leaned into that kind of remote broadcasting yeah. and speaking to the nation. And I think Ryan did a really good job at that time of kind of maintaining. It's a hard thing to do. Um, and I was on the radio for the whole of the, the the kind of guts of the pandemic. And, you know, it's a really, you really feel the weight of that responsibility mm. because you know that people are really struggling and you might be a bit of a break for them from whatever it is that they're struggling with. Um, but equally, you know, sometimes you have to talk about things that are really difficult mm-hmm. and, you know, to kind of strike the balance is is difficult. And I think he did a really good job. Yeah, I remember when the pandemic was coming to an end and kind of everything was returning back to normal. I thought it was a shame. It must have been really hard for shows like The Late Late who had managed to get really, really big celebrities on remote yeah. interviews. 
these are celebrities who go to the UK for Graham Norton, but they're not going to bother coming over to Ireland. Yeah. So they would have missed out on a lot of that. And that's another challenge for it is the fact that like we we can watch the English chat shows yeah. if we want. Um, so yeah, it is tough. And I think that's obviously why The Late Late has kind of leaned into particularly Irish content and things mm-hmm. like the Valentine's Day show or the country show that they do every year. Um, because that's not something that we're going to get from yeah. UK exactly. But yeah, I mean, we mentioned Tommy Tiernan already. He was my very first, immediately popped into my mind as, is it going to be him? You know, people have been talking about him for a couple of years now as maybe like the natural successor to Ryan Tuberty. He's, He's on, on right now. Will we listen? Yeah, let's listen. Okay, we're going to stop because Ryan Tuberty is on Claire Byrne right now. Well, that was lovely. I mean, he's he's a very... He, he has a good way of waxing lyrical about things. He does. And he he has done it there in his kind of first interview since mm. the news has been announced with Claire Byrne. Yeah. And he says, when you know, when you know, it's your time to go. He yeah. said he won't be returning for any toy shows. And that's fair because it would be very unfair for someone to step into his role and yeah. then be told, actually, Ryan's going to come back no. and do the toy shows. Yeah, that couldn't be, I think. Like Claire uh, asked him. He was he kind of joking with Claire there. Would she be the next presenter? Yeah. And she was like, no, I've, you know... I've I've kids at home and I've enough to be doing. So. Well, she well she kind of did. Didn't really, no. And then he was like, "Ah, would you?" He he pushed her on it. Yeah. Which it's always interesting to hear two interviews interview each other because they won't let the other person away with anything, even though there's always a kind of a kindness there as well. But like he pushed her and she didn't say never say never. She was like, "Ah, stop. That's not for now. That's not for." I'm now. sure her name is in the mix. Who else is in the mix? Do we think? Well, this is the tricky thing. Like you know, we really don't know because the question is, will they? replace try and replace Ryan with something similar to kind of make people feel secure or will they go completely different personally I think it's a great opportunity to do something different Mm. with the presenter like we've had very similar um characters in gay Pat and Ryan I mean they're all different obviously but they are I suppose men of a certain type albeit Ryan was I mean when you think about it now so Ryan's only 50 he was 36 when he started that's so young isn't it that's I mean, so I young. don't think of him as an older man, but when he said he's just 50, I was like, oh my God, he's, he's It's young. because he did that whole young fogey thing for so long where he like really leaned into being like, hey, I'm yeah. a jazz man kind of vibe. And he started as a breakfast radio presenter on 2FM yeah. and was so, so funny doing that. Yeah. And I was a huge fan of that back in the day. Yeah. Well, see, and the thing the thing is, um, and we'll get, sorry, I will allow you to continue uh, discussing the list of names. But the thing about it is when you work in RTE, um, you work, you have to be very conscious of people's perception of you and what people think of you and how people interact with you and how they find you to be. And if your role is, you know, funny breakfast show presenter, you can be funny breakfast show presenter. But then if you become late, late show presenter and like, you know, leader of the country's broadcasting, you kind of have to become a bit more serious and like slightly more austere. And, you know, if you're broadcasting to an older audience, you have to take that into account. So like, you know, who Ryan really is, is probably much closer to that breakfast radio, like bit of crack guy, you know. Um, but, he, you know, he, so that's one of the reasons that I'm actually really glad for him that he's going to get away mm. from it because he'll get to, you know, relax a little bit. Certainly I have found, and obviously my career in Orti is nothing like Ryan Tuberty's, but like I have found, I'm still, and it's been a year and a half, kind of decompressing and like feeling that sense of, I don't know, filter or like 
just a level of kind of carefulness that I had that you had to have Mm -hmm. um as a member of Ortiz kind of facing out staff um or well I was never staff contractor but you know what I mean a representative I suppose of RT um it's like it's I'm still letting go of that you know it's it's quite you always have to be kind of on your toes and just ready yeah it's hard to kind of explain like I and I don't think I really realized that I felt it until I left Mm. but like I mean for example you know you can't like I was, my name was brought up in board meetings a couple of times because of things I retweeted, mm-hmm. you know. So like, you know, really is I everything. I mean, we've seen it this week with Gary Lineker and the yeah, BBC. Yeah, exactly. Similar exactly. situation, I think, is what you're talking about. That potentially can happen to people who work in RTE. Yeah. And for Ryan, who's now, I mean, he's not leaving RTE, but he's leaving no. the Late Late Show, which is yeah. arguably his his most kind of divisive role in RTE, I mm. think. I think his radio show, it's much, you know, it's, it's a very lovely space, mm. I think, whereas The Late Late Show has the potential mm. to create a bit of controversy or create a bit of, oh, I don't like what he's doing there or whatever. Yeah, and I mean, I think your job when you're on RTE uh, and particularly when you're on The Late Late Show is to try to appeal to everyone. And like, that's yeah. the thing I love about this podcast is that like, there's, I, I'm not trying to appeal to yeah. everyone at it all. It's interesting now because you're talking there, are they going to change it completely? But like, there's people who have been watching the Late Late Show for 40 years mm. and won't want to see much change. I don't think and they'll change it completely because like the brand is too established and it's too yeah. ingrained in like the Irish psyche. So like I think it would be... Yeah. Well, the, our, the first yeah, name, as I names. said, that popped into my head was Tommy Tiernan. His show is so great and he's so... I mean, he... I've been on the Tommy Tiernan show and they he really does not know mm. who's going to be on. They go to great lengths to hide the fact that you're mm-hmm. in the same building as him. Mm-hmm. Um, we were slightly joking saying, what about Vogue? and Joanne <laughs> <laughs> I mean I would 100% watch I would 100% watch even so Joanne funny. McNally on her own I mean she is too much of a loose cannon yeah in a good way yeah but yeah no she'd need a, the tether yeah um, but also yeah. I don't she'd um, be getting can- she says herself cancel me just yeah. cancel me <laughs> yeah. uh, Miriam O'Callaghan seems like uh, somebody who'd be quite high up on the list yeah like she definitely has the broadcasting experience and yeah. the gravitas which I think is important I think that's the thing about the Late Late Show as well because yeah you're doing like fun stuff you're doing the toy show you're doing Valentine's Day you're doing all that crack but then you also could be having like a really serious political conversation yeah. so it actually really requires a level of um ability that's that's quite particular you yeah. know you need to be able to have the crack but you also need to be able to like hold down a serious conversation yeah some other names I think that are in the mix we were just looking up seeing if any bookies are already mm. putting on I mean Baz Ashmawi is somebody who's been mentioned he is very charming he is very charismatic has done some great work on TV I think he's presenting some stuff over on ITV at the moment is possibly he? or Perfect. something like yeah he's definitely got his finger in a few different kind of presenting pies mm. at the moment Darren Garrahy's name is in there I think people are just thinking of high profile broadcasters mm-hmm. this is a small country with not that many channels so yeah. the pot is quite small if yeah. you're thinking of people like that um, our good friend Fiona who is a Marty Whelan till I die stan kind of girly and she said he's charming he does a great interview She's not wrong. No. Um, he's got not. kind of gay burn levels of public love for mm-hmm. him. Um, anyone else? Vincent Brown popped into my head for some reason. He's... I think everybody's just really hungry for Vincent Brown to make a return at the yeah. moment. But I can't really see him doing like the Valentine's Day show. No. No, he's too much of a curmudgeon. <laughs> but it's it, this is the thing. It's a really difficult show to do and really difficult shoes to fill. I um, think Vincent Brown might... might stagger into the same problems as Pat Kenny did with yeah. those kind of lighter yeah. 
we'll, we'll, we'll never forget the Jerry Seinfeld no, gaffe that he made them. on the Late Late Toy Show. Truly ingrained in my brain forever. <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, we're going to have the new presenter in September, yeah. it seems, because they said yeah, they're going to announce it over the summer. Yeah, yeah. So we'll just have to watch and see. Um, my uh, theory is, and the Orti insiders, just people who work in RT that I've been talking to, we all reckon they don't know who it is yet. Yeah. And they'll be watching now the public response yeah. and kind of taking their lead from that partially. Um, so it's going to be really interesting. What a time. Mm, surprise, it's me. <laughs> Emer, congratulations. <laughs> I never even knew that was something you'd be interested in. I'm thrilled for you. My biggest nightmare would be having to present the Late, Late I know, show. honestly, I was just going to say, you were the last person in no. the world I would think would want that. No, thank you. I mean, that's the other thing is it has to be someone who'd want it. Yeah. Because as Ryan was saying there, like it is a big undertaking. It's every Friday night for like most of the year. Yeah. And then obviously all the prep and all the rest. And like you, and also you have to pay the price of being so public that people feel like they're entitled to come up to you all day every day and comment on you and comment on your every move like that's you know it's a big ask yeah anyway we will watch with interest okay now we have to talk about the oscars those old things yeah (laughs) i know minor minor event that happened this week um it was pretty exciting this year it was exciting i think the level of irish interest really got Mm. people excited about it in this country there was lots of my friends talking about staying up to watch it there were a couple of parties on Mm. or there was one the IFI one in Hen's Hen's Teeth Hen's Tooth Hen's Teeth Um, I had kind of initially said I'm going to stay up and watch it and then when Sunday came I was like oh I'm pretty tired but I did end up watching at least the first hour of it fair play yeah I Um, didn't see didn't see a dot um, yeah, it was because the red carpet is always cr- like excruciating to watch because yeah. they have those live interviews and you're just like, oh, please. But once they got into it, yeah. Mm. But uh, it wasn't the greatest night for... Ireland had 14 nominations, which I think is the most Ireland has ever had in terms of across all the categories. And, mm. you know, just Irish representation was incredible. Yeah. Um, they won two. One, which was just a gorgeous win. And I... I think people weren't even that clued into the fact that there was a film up for the short film category because it had been so overshadowed by Paul yeah. Meskel and Banshees of Inisherin and all that kind of stuff. Quiet Girl, yeah. But An Irish Goodbye did in fact win the Academy Award for Best Short Feature. And this is a film, it's actually available to watch on the RT player, which you obviously have to fight with the RT player first. <laughs> and then the second time you try, you'll be able to watch yeah. it. Um, it's about two brothers, um one of which is Down syndrome and their mother dies and the the between them, I guess, they kind of have to decide what's their future together. Do they mm. keep the family farm? Who, mm. where, what's going to happen to the younger brother? All that kind of stuff. Um, so it's a gorgeous film. It won. Um, it's two filmmakers and um, the actor James Martin who stars in it came up on stage and one of, I think probably the nicest moment of the Oscars, mm. it emerged that it was James's birthday. Mm. So uh, Ross White is one of the filmmakers said, you know, most importantly, it's this guy's birthday and they got the whole auditorium to sing happy birthday to James. I was so thankful he didn't have a very, <clears throat> a very, very Irish name that they were going to struggle. Oh, yeah, I, was like, been... <laughs> I was like, at least his name is James. Like they can't forget it. That would have been <laughs> tricky. Um, but he, he also was doing some great interviews and I just loved like, you know, I, I tweeted for people with Down syndrome and families of people with Down syndrome, how absolutely gorgeous to see James on the stage at the Oscars, yeah. having his moment and, and you know, succeeding on that level. And then also he, I thought he, he just gave amazing interviews yeah. around it. Like he just, it's just, I think, you know, anytime you see how broad the scope 
for someone can be it is just such a positive thing yeah I mean there's been a lot I think every year um ever since that Oscars so white year when Mm. there was and well that wasn't that long ago Mm -hmm. when it was like there are basically no people of color and there's very little diversity in any of this I feel like this year's Oscars was was quite diverse. It's still not without its problems, mm-hmm. but it didn't feel very forced or like, look at this. No. It was just it felt like, authentic. look at this amazing range of people who are winning awards up here. Yeah. Um, so that was brilliant. That was great news. As I said, the film is lovely. It's on the RT player. Mm-hmm. It's like 23 minutes long mm-hmm. or something like that. So you could take a little lunchtime treat and watch it for mm. yourself the other Irish winner was um, Richard Bannum from Tala who won for special f- for visual effects for Avatar mm. um, he went to Ballyfermot College for further education which is where I went so I feel very proud well you, you're practically related they provide they um produce great animators great people who work with com- computer graphics all that kind of thing so that was really great mm. um, to see somebody from Ireland winning to see somebody from Tala winning mm. and to to allow him to speak about his experiences and stuff like that. Yeah. So they both they both projects did the country so proud, I think. Yeah. Generally big night for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Everything Everywhere All at Once, which I'm so glad I saw in the cinema. Just mm. before it kind of went out of cinemas. Mm. I suspect it might come back into a lot of cinemas now because I feel like even though it presents itself as a big crowd-pleasing blockbuster movie, but it's not. Mm. I don't know if you've seen it. I haven't. It's... It's very quirky. Yeah. And it's about the multiverse. Like, it's, you know, it's, mm. it's, it's challenging in some ways because mm. it's not a, a conventional narrative mm-hmm. from beginning to end. So I'm, that's why I'm delighted to see it got so many nominations. It's um, got an almost completely Asian cast, which mm. is brilliant to see. Mm. Although Jamie Lee Curtis did win for mm-hmm. Best Supporting Actress, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, it's just, it's a very, very enjoyable film. I was delighted. I think the two brothers, they're both called Daniels. The two Daniels, they call them, who directed it. I think this is one of their first, like, big films that they've made. And it was so um, ambitious, like, very ambitious project. Yeah. And just lovely to see so many yeah. people winning from that. Great. If it couldn't be Banshees of Inisher and happy for it to be then yeah now you mentioned earlier awkward moments on the red carpet and there was a moment on the red carpet which went or sorry excuse me champagne carpet uh the much discussed champagne carpet the champagne, why did they bother changing it? it looked awful didn't even meet i was like does it is it standing for something no, or it looked horrendous uh but there was a moment between hugh grant and ashley graham and um, that got people talking yeah i actually only watched this clip this morning because mm. i was i was afraid of how excruciating it was going to be and only because you forced me into it i watched it you're welcome it wasn't anywhere near as bad no. as i thought it was going to be same so ashley graham is is uncomfortable in it because she's she's asking him fairly bog standard red carpet questions and he's just not really giving it back but i i don't feel like he's being rude no i didn't think he's he was being, being rude Hugh grant i think like and i said this on twitter uh I think the problem is Hugh Grant is a very accomplished, intelligent man who's been around film for years and he's not really up for very basic small talk, which is what he was being served up by Ashley Graham. And when you take people like Ashley Graham, who is an absolutely stunning plus size model and she does a podcast and she does bits and pieces, but like she's not, you know, her background is not in film. Her background is not in culture journalism. Her background is not in, you know, interviewing. And that's not really, that's not where she made her name. When you take people like that and pluck them and just put them in a job like that and assume they're going to be good. You know, this, these are the moments that you get. It's not her fault. Like she couldn't possibly have been prepared properly for an interview with Hugh Grant. I feel like, like, 
that kind of red carpet interviewing is so, so difficult. I really know people hard. probably watch it and think that's so easy. No. You just ask the same three questions. No, like you have to think of all of the hundreds of mm-hmm. celebrities that are going to be passing by. So. Yeah. And you have to, you have to grab them and you have to move quickly into the section of your brain that knows the stuff about them. And then when they're gone, you're immediately into the next person. Yeah. It's, it's like, I've done it. Not at that level, obviously. Yeah. I've done it. It's hard. It's so stressful. So I feel for her in one way, but at the same time, I don't know, you need to be prepared for somebody like Hugh Grant to come Mm. up. I feel like Amelia who does the chicken chop videos and she has this very distinct kind of charm about her on the red carpet I think she would have managed that marginally better I think she still might have struggled well she did um interviews on the red carpet at the Vanity Fair party and she did really well yeah like and the the thing about Amelia is that she does always seem to know about the people who are put in front of her yeah a little bit and even if she doesn't because she has like we were discussing about the late late because she has her own kind of way of doing things it's people kind of play along you know as opposed to Ashley Graham who's trying to do what people do in red carpet interviews and just not doing it that well yeah and I mean like Hugh Grant if you watch him in interviews he's very dry and he's very funny that's who he is um and he's admittedly like a dry old sod about this and he's like I hate doing this I um was reading an article about this whole thing and they had uh, inserted a video uh I think it was a people magazine about, you know, a film critic interviewing him. And it was very funny because, like, he, they were asking him about his, you know, co-stars. And he was like, Drew Barrymore, yeah, I think she definitely hated me. And he couldn't remember the name of the film they were in. <laughs> <laughs> That's just who he is, you know? Like, talked about Emma Thompson saying she was absolutely insane. So I think he's getting a bit of a hard ride because I don't think he was being rude. I just think he was no. answering. I also don't really think he cares. No. Like, he doesn't give a shit about this stuff, no. I don't think. Lindsay Lohan is pregnant. Oh, this was lovely news. Yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. I felt genuine, like, oh, yay. Yeah. Like, as if it was someone I know when I heard, yeah. which is kind of weird. Yeah, we want Lindsay to be happy. I recently rewatched the reality documentary oh. show, documentary, I guess you'd call it, that she did with Oprah. Oh, it's grim. Oh, I had forgotten about the constant cigarette yeah. smoking and the moving from hotel room to hotel room and the not doing any work. And not turning up. Yeah, I watched it about a year or two years ago. Maybe I rewatched it. And yeah, it's so grim. It's so grim. Yeah. So it's great to see her. Yeah, she is married to a financial advisor, Beda Shamas. And hopefully, I mean, she married him in 20, I thought it said 2002, 2022. Yeah. Um, so hopefully they'll be great parents That's and it. they'll have a gorgeous little red haired baby. Okay. I think we should skip on to Gary Lineker because we didn't know we were going to be talking about Ryan Tuberty at the top. So we are a little bit tight for time. Yeah. Um, Gary Lineker, obviously a huge story, on, ongoing story um, in terms of Gary Lineker and the BBC. Yeah. So Gary Lineker... Gary Lineker is known for his kind of political political tweets. He has views on things. This isn't news to anybody. But as far as his relationship with the BBC, he is a football commentator. He presents Match of the Day. He's a long-standing football pundit. Pundit, long-standing football player back in the day. Um, he got into some... I don't want to call it trouble because, I mean, it's not clear that he really did anything wrong. Um, but he tweeted this week in response to the UK's... Um, immigrant policy this new policy language that they were putting out and he compared it to language that was used in 1930s Germany and this is about um Swella Braveman and Rishi Sunak representing mm. this about their small boats policy and they're not going to be letting people you know it's people on boats into the UK you know not great stuff mm. um so he tweeted about it and then because he works for the BBC and because of impartiality 
they they had to take him to task because it was, you know, he shouldn't be commenting on political issues like that. Mm-hmm. He, and they wanted him to apologize. They wanted him to basically say, I'm sorry, I said it and take it back. And he said, no, oh, okay, oh, I won't be presenting match of the day. So this was happening last week. Mm. Yeah, because last Saturday's match of the day didn't go ahead. And is that right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Getting my days mixed up. And... So it rumbled on for a while and then Alan Shearer and Ian Wright, who are his co-hosts on Match of the Day, said, okay, well, we'll be going along with him. And then it snowballed into all of these football and sports commentators stepping back and saying, okay, well, I won't be commentating. Mm. So the BBC had to pull a lot of its sport content from both radio and TV Mm. over the past week because of this. Um, He has been reinstated to go back on Match of the Day this Saturday, but this isn't the end of it because it's kind of the BBC are going to have to do a review into this and where do they draw the line? And what I thought was interesting is Gary Lineker isn't a political commentator for the BBC. He's a football commentator. Mm. He he says they ask him to go on political shows all the time Mm -hmm. because he's a good talker. And he says no, because he doesn't want to blur the lines. So I think he has a leg to stand on there because it's like, I don't go on to the BBC to talk about politics. I go on to talk about football. Yeah, Politics in football, fine. Like that's a crossover, but this isn't. Like, I would just say, when I was reading about this, I was like, that would be the exact same in RT. Yeah. It would be. But it's like, if he had been tweeting in, if he had been praising the government policy, would yeah. the same thing have happened? No, probably not. And you can say the same about any topic. But I mean, then fingers are pointed. I mean, there's a lot of talk about trans issues and the BBC and a lot of the UK media Mm. and what happens there when people are vocally anti-trans rights and they're still allowed to go on to be be Mm. broadcasters. And it's just, it's kind of a grey area. Mm. I think Gary Lineker is the right person to kind of stand up against it. And in fact, it's the BBC that had to apologise for the big row rather than Gary Lineker. I mean, I suppose again, and I I know I I feel like a broken record, but like it just comes back to the changing climate that we live in because, you know, when these policies were developed in terms of, you know, what public presenters and stuff were allowed to talk about and not allowed to talk about and impartiality and all that, we didn't have Twitter and Instagram and whatever else yeah so you know it really wasn't that much of a challenge like it just meant you maybe didn't give a newspaper interview about yeah. your feelings or whatever yeah um whereas now it's it's it can feel much more um the weight of it can feel yeah. heavier I think and often as well I think there's this false two sides argument put up I mean mm. there's only really two sides when I think there's a vote involved so if there's a referendum or yeah. there's that's when you need to present both sides if it's just a cultural thing that there might be six sides to who gets to decide yeah. this is the right side and this is the wrong side. Yeah. Tricky times. Sh- Luckily sure we're is. here solving all the problems. <laughs> <laughs> well, what a thrill to, to have you with me at this moment. Emer McLeisett, she is of course columnist with the Irish Times. You can read her on Fridays in the paper. She is co-author of the Oh My God, What a Complete Ashling series. The new book is out soon. Ooh. She has not given it to me yet despite promising me that oh, she yeah, would. I will. I will give it to um, you. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we'll be, we'll be reading the final Ashling yeah. soon. I can't believe We've it. We've killed her off. <laughs> no, we haven't. <laughs> I think Sophie made that joke as well on Mother of I was like, perpetuate that. That's a good rumor. <laughs> Sophie was like, I've read the new Ashling book. She dies. <laughs> or IP Ashling. Oh, it's been a good ride. Emer, thanks a million. Bye. Now, 
just about time for me to go. And as I said at the start, I've been struggling with the old recommendations because I haven't had a whole lot of time to kind of consume anything recently. However, I did really enjoy watching Next in Fashion on the plane to and from Madrid. If you haven't seen it, it's like a Project Runway style fashion designing competition show. It The first series was hosted by Tan France of Queer Eye and Alexa Chung. And this new series is Tan France and Gigi Hadid. And Gigi is just... I mean, she is just so charming. Like, you just can't help but love her. She comes across so well. I think she's a total natural. She's really good with the contestants. And, you know, if you like that kind of thing, I think you will love it. It's all available on Netflix, so you can binge to your heart's content. Um, But that's kind of all I have. I'm sorry. Sorry, my friends. Um, Otherwise, I would recommend Madrid as a destination, I suppose. I really enjoyed that. Um, But uh, I, I hope to consume more culture over the course of the next week and I'll have some good stuff for you next week um okay in the meantime as I said at the start there's a mailbag episode coming on patreon next week where I respond to your questions and opinions don't forget you can send them into 089-209-6423 and um if you want to sign up you can access that episode and indeed all the previous episodes at patreon.com forward slash catch up with Louise McSharry okay guys I hope you have a great week but as I always say, can't always be great, but we will just put one foot in front of the other and get to next Friday when we will be together again. In the meantime, thank you so much to ACAST for having me on the network and to my wonderful contributors. I will talk to you soon. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.